0: Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of the Loudwire Podcast. My name is Graham. I'm Joe. And we've got a twofer for you today. Yes, we've got two guests. Twofer Thursday. (laughs) It is Thursday. Uh, We've got Metalocalypse creator and voice actor and all around Death Clock genius, Brendan Small. We've got him in first. We'll be talking a bunch of stuff with him. So exciting to have that guy in here. I mean, I remember
1: watching Metalocalypse growing up and like we were in college. We watched it. Yeah. And to have him sitting here is going to be pretty cool.
0: And we've also got Devin Townsend, which we recorded a different day. And that's just going to be me. I was at a festival.
1: I mean, I've never really been bummed to be at a festival, but knowing that I was missing a chance to sit down and talk to Debbie about that new album, which is beyond brilliant. Little, little sad about that, but hey, seeing a bunch of bands over the course of three days.
0: Yeah, you made a mistake. Me nah. and Dev, we talk about basically just life for about 20 minutes, and you'll hear that it's basically just our own like existential ramblings and theories on life and the great unknown and whatnot. So that's coming up to you in a very short time. But first, as we said, Brendan Small, he's going to talk about. All the mm, problems, yeah, with
1: getting the last bit of Metalocalypse aired,
0: yeah, the issues with Adult Swim. We're gonna go into that very deep, as deep as we possibly can, find out what exactly happened, why they wouldn't want to actually air a finale of basically their most popular show, and at least to Metalheads. Well, obviously, Metalheads, but like their most popular show. And I don't know how long. I mean that's It doesn't make any sense. That shows a legitimate phenomenon. And they chose not to do an ending even when get this. Two million dollars was independently raised by Brendan Small to make the episode. So no financial uh reliability from Adult Swim at all. They had absolutely nothing to lose and still nothing. So we're gonna talk to Brendan about that. We're gonna learn all about what happened with Metalocalypse? And also, for the Rocker vs. Writer segment today, we talked to Brendan about which metal band, which real-life metal band, would make for the greatest cartoon. But before we get into that, one thing I want to talk to you guys about is, yesterday, we released the 100th episode of Wikipedia Factor Fiction. Yes. I don't know if, I hope that some of you, if you're on our YouTube channel, if you're listening to this on our YouTube channel, I hope you know what Wikipedia Factor Fiction is, because we've only been doing it for the last three years. Dude, you've probably cleared up the most nonsense in metal history of
1: anybody ever.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's been fun, so, you know, wanted to celebrate 100 episodes of Wikipedia Factor Fiction, one of my favorite things to do ever. It was kind of the launching point for our YouTube channel, and... We've gotten so many subscribers and over 100 million views ever since then, and I just wanted to take a little minute to say thank you. I want to tell you how much I appreciate everyone who's watched one episode or all 100 episodes, everyone who's left a nice comment, everyone who's shared it, anyone who has written nonsense on Wikipedia for me to clear up with these amazing musicians. So I wanted to take a minute to say thank you because you don't normally hear from me all that personally because obviously when we're doing interviews it's not about us so I wanted to say thank you all I genuinely appreciate it thank you for letting me do a 100 episodes of this this series so here it is Brendan Small everybody here on the Loudwire Podcast make sure to hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel hit that subscribe button on iTunes it's time to sit down
1: and shout
0: (laughs) Do you think Charlie Rose is Axel Rose's father? God, no. <laughs> I don't <know. laughs> I don't, but you never know because, like, I think they both really like alcohol a lot. Yeah. But I mean, it, it could always be the dad who's really secretly disappointed in his son. Yeah. So you never really, even though the son's. Gonna, success, let's start that rumor today Charlie Rose is Axel Rose's father. Is Axel Rose's father. <laughs> there. And is disappointed in him. Yeah, but he's playing stadiums. Do metalheads know who Charlie Rose is? I don't know if they watch the news.
2: Yeah, well, uh, Charlie Rose is. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he has a famous talk show that's a long form. It's kind of like uh, everyone knows what Mark Marin show is. The WTF. Oh, totally. Right? Yeah, Big It's fan. kind of kind of like that. Before there was that, it's not as cool. It's not as dirty. It doesn't go as dark or deep. But it's kind of like that. It's he's a good interviewer. So there you go. Now you know who he is, and uh, he's. I think he's on like CBS Morning Show now. Where yeah, he's that's not, where kind I, of used to his potential.
0: That's kind of where I know right. him for. Yeah. But yeah, uh, we want to welcome Brendan Small Thank to the me. podcast. We're so happy to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm in New York. Yeah, no. We tried finally. to set this up,
2: and we both <laughs> we, blew it. We, we both we, thought the other one was on the other person's coast. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I exactly. live in Los Angeles, and you live here in New York. And um, we set it up. We're like, great, I'll see it too. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm in, I'm a 3,000 miles away. <laughs> yeah. It's like,
0: yeah, yeah, come to the office in New York. And, and we like, both we just hey, oh, I oh. Thought, yeah yeah.
2: You, you thought I lived in New York. I thought prepare. you were going to be in New York whatever. Oh, you thought I was going to be yeah. Yeah, that's... yeah. but Or I thought you were going to do like an ISDN thing. I don't know. Whatever. Here we are. <laughs> but here we are in person, person they wouldn't fly thankfully. Us out to California. They wouldn't fly you out. Wow. No.
0: Of course. No. Couldn't get the budget. What are you, you going to do? I don't know. we got to work at this. We'll man. work on it. Yeah. to raise some money. So, I mean, I know we're all excited about Galacticon too. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, there was a recent interview with Gene Hoagland who was basically saying that it's going to... Basically, be a new death clock record. Like, <laughs> kind of minus the
1: name, minus the logo, but. Yeah. Well,
2: I here here. Let me tell you this because this I'm not going to be that good of an interviewee because I'm still making the record right now. Okay. So what I'm doing right now is that here I am in New York. Uh, I'm spending a weekend just to be in New York because I like being here. Unfortunately, I'm here in the hottest weekend. This I may as well it's be awful, in Rio yeah. de Janeiro. It's terrible now. <laughs> yeah. The only thing this has better is no Zika virus. Um. So far. Not yet. <clears throat> um. But uh, it's good to be here, and I will. Next week, I'm spending the week teaching heavy metal to children uh, in Woodstock. Great. So I do a thing with, uh, and I did this with Scott Ian last summer. And I did it by myself the summer before, and I did it the summer before. So I keep on coming back and teaching kids in a hot, sweaty room heavy metal. And uh, that's why I'm here. But uh, And it's also given me a, a, a break from doing vocals for the Galacticon 2 record. I can't t- I can't tell you too much about, what I can tell you is that I've got really fun, you know, what Gene heard so far Mm. was the composition the song structure I gave what I gave him before we went to the studio were I figured he's so busy Gene's doing drums he's doing everything yeah he's doing he had just gotten out of the studio doing a testament record his chops are really up and he's always great he's Gene Hoagland and I knew I had just a few amount of days with him so I had to really make sure all my songs were kind of ready to go I couldn't dick around because sometimes, you know, I can loop a section and go, like, you know, let's see what will happen here, something else. And we get creative. And if Gene pipes up and says something, he goes, hey, I had a thought. Or he drops a drumstick at a, at a really important part. Uh, right? yeah. Wait, that's the space we needed. He did that somewhere on this record. When you finally hear Galacticon 2, you'll hear there's a, there's a space and it. And he's like, sorry, Brendan, drop my drumsticks. And I go, whoa, 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 leave that in there. That sounded cool. <laughs> and we did that. So I was like, any accident that happens. Basically, I want you to beat my ideas with the Gene Hoagland ideas. And I want any yes. accident is welcome. So, so he played his ass off, I can tell you that. Of course. Um, the songs are, there's stuff I really, I, I'm in the point, and this is what happens in every record I make from the Death Clock to Galacticon, whatever it is to the rock opera. I'm at a point where I love Hate It and um, okay. where I have moments where I'm like, I think I wrote the coolest song in the world. And then two minutes later, I'm like, I think I wrote the shittiest song in the world. And then two minutes later, I'm like, I think I wrote the coolest song in the world. And then two minutes later, I think I wrote the shittiest song in the world. <laughs> well, you
0: hear that from a lot of creative people, like no matter what it's it is. It's an important you know? part
2: of the process. It really is. Everyone's got to do it. So if you're sitting there and you're, you're a young songwriter, you've got you've to gotta recognize that I just know that I'm at the part where I have my hazmat suit on and it's just I'm shoveling garbage. So yeah. I just know I've got to keep this suit on and get through the garbage so I can get to the
0: fun stuff. Yeah, you need to realize self-hatred is an important part of the process. Yes, you've got to loathe
2: oneself. It's really important. If I thought everything I did was great, I'd be a, I'd be a problem. You yeah, know? that's, I have that's to, the wrong way to go. We've got to police ourselves You know, in anything that we do creatively. That's part of, I think, one of the most important things. is If you're going to be an actor, you have to direct yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't wait for a director to tell you some amazing piece of inspiration you kind of have to show up with it You have to find all that stuff you have to direct yourself if you're um, You have to edit yourself if you're a writer You have to make sure you're only leaving in the parts that are important, you know if you're putting a script together And if you're a musician you have to circle the coolest rift out of the 35 riffs that you wrote and Yeah, I think that's worth listening to So sure. I don't know go on I'm going all over the place I had a lot of coffee and I've been walking for 13 miles in Manhattan
0: yeah, I mean, well, I mean, day. Yeah. but, you know, obviously we're all bummed out, but bummed out by the Adult Swim thing and that they kind of didn't, it. you know, they weren't going to bring back Metalocalypse. And uh I read that, you know, they didn't want to put up the money. So you found these backers who were going to raise two million dollars to yes. make this thing happen. And they still said no.
2: They said like a hard no. Yeah. Wow. There wasn't like, even any like debate on there the was table no debate was just... there was even not even a return phone call it was a hard no that's so it was it me. was real, about as hard as you could possibly get it's about as hard of a no as you could possibly get which is kind of strange it's look show business is show business i can't really complain about it what i need to do what's important for me to live my creative life is to stand back and look and go hey i had a pretty good run at this show This show didn't exist, and someone was going to probably do this show before me, and they were going to screw it up in some way. So, I'm glad I got there first, and I'm glad I did it the way that I thought it needed to be done. So, I'm lucky. Any way you slice it. I wanted to end it in a way, and they were kind of, of, you know, it's basically like a crappy relationship at the end, where we should probably break up. Yeah. Um, But... But, we're, but they kept on dangling the idea of doing this thing in front of me. So I was like, okay, mm. and then dangling other TV show ideas and stuff like that. And I thought, well, everything I want to do is not necessarily an Adult Swim show right now with what they're doing. And um, so I said, look, all I really care about doing is wrapping this show up. That's all I, I mean, if you're going to call me, this is all I care about. Yeah. This is about maybe a year and a half ago I said that. So I, go, I don't know if I'm going to pitch any other shows or anything else because I just don't think I'm on the Adult Swim wavelength right now with what I want to do. I want to do stuff that's... It's like metal... I mean, look, what I like about Metalocalypse is it's character-driven, um, big world, music is an important component, and it really is about the... Re- if I didn't... If if the music sucked, the show would probably be okay. Um, if... Uh, but if the characters sucked, the show wouldn't be okay. So I want to make sure I have strong characters and good
0: story to tell. Yeah, you know what I mean? agree with that for sure.
2: And I, it was, a, and for me, as being you know a music student and all that stuff, it, what a great opportunity for me to be able to cram a bunch of music in there and turn it into its own thing, you know. So that's all I really want to do, and is character stuff. And they're not really yeah. interested in the same thing I'm interested in. So I said, okay, I just want to do this stuff. Then they called me like six months later and said, hey, we we think we got money for a a finale and yes, then and right. then that kind of fizzled out too they couldn't raise enough money and i thought well
1: if you raise your own money if we raise if
2: we have people who would basically acquire the license and let adult swim air at first blah 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 all this stuff. whatever happened whatever we tried to do was all really good work and the fans really stepped up and all these people tweeted and all kinds of stuff what i think really happened was they drove adult swim insane and i think they adult swim for some reason i don't know why <laughs> I think they took it personally. That the Metalocalypse Now campaign. I think they took it very personally. And the, the truth was that people were saying, like, hey, what the hell, where's our show? We're here for this show. Sure. Can you give it to us? We're going to watch it like crazy. And they said, uh, No. They said no. Uh-huh. I think somebody's
1: thin skinned and somebody got their feelings hurt. That's that's I think it boils down to something that simple. Which is weird because a lot of times with that kind of stuff, it really it comes down to the bottom line. And if you demonstrate that there's such a huge demand for this, yes. you can to just see a no-brainer like oh, that many people want that's this. Why like, yeah, let's let's
2: do it. That is the logic that I would usually go with. But <laughs> that? I, that's why I'm going with the feelings hurt theory right yeah. now. That's... Somebody has somebody at the network has really thin skin and got their feelings hurt and they just, they're saying a resounding no and now i think they're at the place where they've got to commit to it otherwise yeah. they look like they think they look like a double jerk or something but what they did was they created a scenario that's just totally unnecessary we should have just done it and moved on and been done and but you know what now here's what here's what the story's going to be forever it's a total um it's uh it it should have been made yeah and the fans will never be happy it's with, with the network yeah well
0: the thing is it, when you talk about the fans, the fans are so hardcore. Oh, yeah. And not only just about the show, but Death Album 1, 2, and 3 were all consecutively the highest-charting death I metal know. albums of all time. I know. 2 beat 1, 3 beat 2. Yeah. It was absolutely insane. I The, know. the way that it—just the quality of everything and how oh, people you. kept coming back. I, like, know. I, I know. I just don't—it's— I don't understand. I know. You know what? I don't what? understand. Be, it'll like I said, it's gonna What's go down as a head scratcher, <laughs>
2: yeah. and um, that's. You know what though? I mean, here's the thing. This, this, everything you're saying is based on logic. You guys are all using we logic so. really well. Thank you. <laughs> but I will say this: <laughs> television and show business does not work on on logic. You no. know the term that showbiz? Yeah. That means that anything could happen. We could all just be annihilated and killed and squashed at any moment. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. And I knew this from. From my first show, Home Movies, which is you know absolutely nothing oh, to do with metalocalypse, but it was a really like fun show. Like I love that show. I appreciate it. Thanks. And um, the, we got canceled tw- twice. So we got canceled by our first network, and then Adult Swim picked us up mm-hmm. again. So if I, if it sounds like I'm complaining about Adult Swim, all I'm doing is trying to figure out the logic. And again, this is what for other people besides me, because I'm yeah. just I've gone like, okay, I'm I've got to move forward because I get it. It's show business. But the truth is that Adult Swim. Has given me work for the better part of like sixteen years. Yeah. So I can't really complain about any of this stuff. Otherwise, I look like a jerk. So um, they've been nice to so us, but Home Movies got canceled twice, and I just I realized TV is a temp job. And so so mm. then you guys like you're asking me now about like Galacticon Two versus Death Clock. I don't own Death Clock. I don't own the name. I entered into a partnership with the network, which issue. is which is a very you know, and that's it was a really smart because Home Movies was owned by the production company Metalocalypse and Death Clock and all that stuff we sold it to the network and that's a sure. different way to do it and in a lot of ways that's a better way to do it because they're going to advertise their own shows a little bit more than a show that they license from somebody else yeah. they're going to spend their own internal money and that paid off very very well for Metalocalypse so given the same scenario I probably would have done it identically Okay. the truth is that whatever I do musically is going to sound like something I do and if it's gonna be heavy, it's gonna probably have hints of Galacticon and Death Clock. Look at the Galacticon record if you've heard it, if you haven't check it out, because there's a different tone than it's the same players as myself Brian Beller, mm-hmm. who's an amazing bass player who went to Berklee College of Music right before I did. And Gene Hoagland is Gene Hoagland, who's, you know, Superman it's on an drums. Yeah, he's insane. And um, the style of riffs or whatever it is that I naturally gravitate towards. If you sing heavy over it, it sounds like Death Clock. If you sing, kind of like more melodic over it, it sounds like Galacticon. So, it's you're gonna get it. I don't. I don't want to tell you what the record's gonna sound like because I. I can only tell you it's gonna sound cool, and I'm gonna give it my stamp of approval when I'm finished. But I'm right in the, the middle of the shit right now. So. Yeah, <laughs> you know right. what I
0: mean. But we are not to expect the the Death Clock characters to to make an appearance.
2: Again, I don't own those, so I don't really. It, it wouldn't... Yeah. I, I couldn't do that would it, be, you know. That would
0: be infringement on, that would on be, your part, you know. That
2: would be something, yeah, if I were to use their names or any of that stuff
1: or, you know. Now, was there anything you could have done contractually to retain those rights? Um, I I don't think so. I, I really don't. You know,
2: I talk to my lawyers about all this stuff. You know, you have to have a lawyer in showbiz and you got to talk to them about stuff. And and um, I the the question is like if i wanted to buy the network out first of all i don't think they would ever sell it to me and i don't think they're in the business of doing that anything that's out of the norm they really really are not interested in doing getting anyone's lawyer to call you back is such a i mean adult swim has turner broadcasting's legal team so they're spread thin they do like maybe return a phone call a week and it's just Mm. It's the slow liquid syrup of just nothingness and it's the brutality that beats all. It's just just nothing happening. So it's these are all things that I thought about. Again, I'd have to raise the capital to be able to do something like that and I don't think they'd even return that phone call to be honest. I don't think that's something they'd be interested in doing. Right. They don't sell their entities back. No. Plus what if it's Seriously, I mean, how many records have we sold, and how how well is the TV show known? Yeah. What would they sell that back to me for? What's, no, why, what's a reasonable price for that? Why what? Why thirty would they? million dollars? Let's say ten million. Let's say five million. Guess what? I don't have any of that money. <laughs> let's say a million. I don't have that money.
0: <laughs> yeah, it would be some crazy, crazy number like that. Yeah, I mean, it you know with the. Sort of death clock swan song that you you wanted to produce so badly was yeah. that something that had already been written and yeah. ready to go?
2: Well, it was um it was outlined. So basically, I knew what the main story is. So when I left Murderface in the if you saw the Doomstar Requiem, basically I yeah. was I was told during the Dooms because I was I had a I had basically I, I went to the head of the network and I said. I can wrap the whole show up right here. Yeah. I can do what I want to do before I go in the studio and start making it and writing and all that stuff. And he said, don't. He said, don't. Oh. I wish he hadn't. I wish he said, do. But he said, you don't want to do that. You don't want to push the... He used the term push the button. You don't want to push the button on this show. And... You know, it's whatever. I mean, again, I can I can fault the guy if I want to, but he's the same guy that picked up the show and gave me all these opportunities to do the show, so whatever. You know, good decisions, bad decisions, they all end up in the same wad. So what I did with story-wise is I left one of the characters in a lurch. Okay. And um, Murder Face. And that was going to be the beginning of the final story.
1: Oh. <sighs> So You have the storyboard all done, but not really like the dialogue.
2: Not the and board. I have like basically like a like a really dense like eight page outline of exactly what happened, which is usually what, it's kind of like what happened with the Doomstar Requiem is that I had kind of like a truncated movie style thing. It's like a forty four minute like a TV hour. Okay. And um. And I told a lot of story, and it was basically, you know, it's that it what it is, is is the trajectory of the entire show. You meet them, you meet five of the biggest assholes on earth, and you <laughs> you put them in a position where they have to put somebody before them, and that's what the Doomstar Requiem was. Yeah. And now that they have done that, and they've discovered this power that they have, and all this stuff, how do you finish it? And who are they really up against at that point, and all that stuff? So oh it would have been cool. It would have been. I know. Hopefully, it's gonna one be way cool. or another. I mean, I don't even know if I can legally do this, but I would have love to out. tour and just tell people the story
1: like a spoken word yeah, yeah. I would love uh-huh. to just
2: like go and say like okay everyone gather around and I and then I put a flashlight under my face <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and I play creepy music get everyone around and yeah, like everyone gather wow around Circle, uh, circle around me and yeah, I'm, I'm f- going to tell the story get yeah, one
1: of those little like fake flames that yeah have. get like
2: a fake flame with like yeah the what is it the, like the plastic thing yeah and yeah and like a little cartoonish, cartoonish yeah.
1: swishy little yeah, campfire really thing. create <laughs> yeah. a
2: really spooky scenario I don't know maybe maybe it, I don't know maybe it could work I don't even know if I could legally do it those aren't my characters that's not my you know yeah who knows maybe one day i'll do that which sure would satisfy it would take a lot of pressure off the network it would probably make people stop you know clogging up their uh media inboxes yeah, yeah for just...
1: social media interns it's got to be pretty brutal oh my god <laughs> bad? i went to a wedding of a guy
2: who was married it's a good friend a couple of friends so his, the girl he was marrying her her father works at adult swim and so a lot of other Adult Swim people were there. This is about a year ago, and one of the guys was the Facebook operator, and he just said, "You don't understand how many people are," and he just like looked at me, and he's like, I, "I don't know what to, I don't know what to I don't understand what's going on. Why this many people are doing yeah. this and nothing's getting done? So I don't understand. Obviously, I don't know what's going on."
0: So let's get into our rocker versus writer segment today with Brendan Small. We're going to be debating or discussing, yes, what real life metal band would make the greatest cartoon. Hmm, real it's a tough life. one. So, lots of characters, lots and of people yeah. that could end up being well, great. Well, let's
2: define what makes a great cartoon first. All right, let's, let's, let's do define that. the criteria. What, in your opinion, makes it great because mine is different than everybody else's. Mm. I, I Again, I'm the I'm the maker of the show, I'm not the watcher of the show. So my relationship with the show is very, very different
0: than everybody everybody else's. I think so. something that you can watch at two in the morning, tired off your ass, eyes red, and just be completely fixated by it mm-hmm. in like a almost a, a self hatred. Mm-hmm. Trance, <laughs> if that makes sense. I mean, that makes for a good show. If you can get that audience, I think you're a success.
2: Okay, okay. Yeah. So, you yeah, have that feeling. There's a natural. So, what you're describing to me is a natural attraction to something that's yes. glowing in front of you. Yeah, yeah, the glowing screen. No matter Absolutely. what your current okay. state. All right, what else? What I about look for, you?
1: for character development and okay. a well rounded
0: cast.
2: Okay, so what are some of your favorite animated shows right now?
0: Well, you know, Metalocalypse is a really good did. show, I you know. That, <laughs> animated uh bob's burgers i think bob's is burgers, really really is great, great. that's another on that, yeah. yeah that's uh, another
1: one very dynamic characters they kind mm-hmm. of each fill out the other one right kind yeah, of like the, a yin yang situation i
0: loved loved rocco's modern life growing up i remember that he show was, like i remember that, was that was yeah, yeah um favorites. tom
1: kenny was on
2: that too wasn't he the guy who plays uh, Sp- he used spongebob. to be on yeah spongebob but the reason i yeah. knew him was because he was on but i know him anyway through the comedy world but He was also on Mister Show, which is one of the best best, comedy shows of all time. But he he was—he did—he's just like the go-to cartoon voice guy, and he did a lot of stuff on Home Movies too. Anyway, yeah,
1: Uh, Regular Show is another one that I like. Regular Um, Show, okay, kind of nice and lighthearted. Which is—that's like a Cartoon Network show, right? uh, Yeah, I think it's on Cartoon Network. But I mean, like, like the audience is like kids, (laughs) though. No, no, but
2: it's like a (laughs) like Rocco's Martin Life was like a kids show too. But I, I also agree, it was a really funny show and it's interesting Mm. and it was. It was way beyond and, its years, yeah, too. It, yeah, they got to m- make it fun. I remember co- being in college around that time and going, like, this is actually pretty funny. It, yeah, exactly. Some of the stuff is intended for a way older audience. Yeah, a lot. Some of these th- jokes are landing for older people,
1: yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, ch- and that's chicken. Thing like is Chicken. Yeah, Chokey, it was called <laughs> Chokie's Chicken and they, they changed chicken. it to Chewy's Chicken because apparently six-year-olds knew what choking the chicken meant. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to learn anyway. I know. You They're better learn You, as well you learn may, from may as well make it fun and... Well, don't talk about it. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> but uh, that's another thing so, I like is multi-layered like that, where it kind of hits on a lot of different generations. Where you could pick up, like, right. um What you did with Metalocalypse, sure. Where you have like a little bit of kind of the subtle joke. So if you're a casual like rock or metal fan, right, yeah. you could watch it. But it's on a different level if you're really entrenched, or if you're in a band. Right. There's so many different dynamics that are going on just with the interaction. It's funny, them. you know.
2: Part of that comes from. Part of that comes from, you know, it, it's it's how you um, negotiate a creative relationship. And that can be musical, or that can be in the writers' room of making Metalocalypse. A lot. What you'll, what I'll never really tell the full story of is how much this show really reflects how we were making this show.
0: Okay. And so yeah. meaning
2: that on the show there was, there were people that worked really, really hard and did their jobs and showed up, and there were people that were Toki and Murderface. <laughs> and <laughs> who who just were just making problems consistently and, oh. I, and it, I noticed it was happening and I stood back and the smartest thing I could do was just shut up and listen to what was going on around me and I was like, the show is happening inside of the writer's room. The show is happening inside <laughs> of the show. The show is happening in the line of production. This is fucking amazing. Who's, and
0: who's being slaughtered in that room? Who's being exactly?
2: <laughs> exactly. That's the stuff that would be really uncouth of me to to speak about, but there
0: is Yeah, keep it quiet. It was
2: really fantastic. It was really really happening. And the moments that I really got the most excited about were when I could pretty much lift a conversation that happened between people in the show and put it right on the screen. Oh, that's and beautiful. That's the only a story I would tell with the microphones off but it is some of the most titillating (laughs) moments of my life were just to be able to transcribe exactly what was happening around me. But it's true. It's the creative relationship. So that's another layer of the show is that something has to ring true. Otherwise, I don't understand why I'd watch it. So I watch cartoons where I go, where's my entry point? Where's my Everyone's being crazy. Okay, okay. And then you learn very quickly from making comedy cartoons, being crazy and being out of your mind and having nonsense happen is almost hack at this point. We've seen that happen. It's very easy to have awkward mm
0: -hmm. pauses and make shit not Mm -hmm. make sense. That's what people do in like commercials these days. I think that's one... It's like, yeah, Adult Swim may have influenced in the wrong way, the wrong parts of Adult Swim. I think that's when you know that a certain style of comedy has become hack when you start to see it on every commercial when they yes. use that same sort yeah of when your parents are making and, those
2: kind of jokes and yeah, stuff like that. That's yeah. when you got to move on. It's time to yeah to to say okay we have successfully plowed this field
1: yeah, and exactly. nothing is coming up <laughs> anymore. And the problem with the commercials too is like they're funny they've got a gag nobody remembers what the brand is. It's true. You remember I, the joke. Nobody true. remembers I what don't they're care. selling. They don't, yeah, point. they're like yeah.
2: I I can't get into advertising. Well, for
0: me, I think if I wanted to make, uh, if I wanted to see a band become a cartoon, mm -hmm. I would love to see Mastodon be a cartoon. I think they would be amazing. I think like... You know, I got to tour with them for seven weeks and I keep in touch with them
2: uh, and I really love seeing those guys and I've become very friendly with them and the answer is Without a doubt, they would make a fantastic cartoon. They would make the
0: greatest cartoon. I feel like their superpowers, like Troy Sanders would be like sort of like this brutal caveman type guy. Like Bill Kelleher would have like total shred power that comes from his epic mullet and handlebar mustache. Like, uh, Braun Daler would have like octopus arms and Mm -hmm. like his crime fighting. And then Brent Hines would just be like doing drugs in the woods and develop some sort of psychic powers.
2: Brent is, um, all those guys, first of all, knowing those guys, the reason they're banned is I love their band, and I love watching them evolve over the years, and I love hanging out with them. Yeah. And they're all funny as hell, and they're all really smart. And um, Bron and I are like the exact same age, and we our references are, I mean, we could, there's a few movies that we can do the entire dialogue <laughs> to. So sometimes we just text each other, just dialogue from a movie, and just keep going through the... The entire scene until, like, we just get tired, we fall asleep. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, like, American movie is one of those things. Yeah, uh, oh, I've never seen dude, American movie. Yes. Well, American movie, that's where Pickles came from. Really? Yeah, that, that... was my. I was going to do my own voice for Pickles, and the network was smart enough to say, you know what? We love all these characters, Pickles. Let's work on that. And I got, and I thought, I don't, okay, I don't know what to do with this guy yet. I just don't know who he is. And then I started doing, I, I all I would do is watch, I'm still, it's like my comfort movie, American movie. Yeah. So, mark borchard that was my the main director guy yeah the movie. main dude yeah. the, the guy the subject of the documentary that was my version of of his voice and no and you know, i'm yeah. from the midwest also so i kind of grew up talking like that a little bit until i moved to california and and accessing that was a little was easier because you know we kind of have that twangy chicago-y yeah. thing don't
1: you know there There's a little of that. There's the, well, that's the
2: Fargo thing. That's the hardcore. But but the Wisconsin thing too. So yeah. um, so that's where he came from. And so Braun and I will just text each other pretty much the entire movie. He just he actually a gift showed up the other day, and he got me the score of Coven on vinyl. Oh, it was. Re- boy. I, I was like, what is this? I'm not expecting anything
0: from. And I looked at that, and it was from Braun. And I was like, "God damn it! What a sweet, <laughs> what guy. a lovely human!" <laughs> it was really nice, uh, Joe. What do you think? Like, who who do you want to see be a cartoon? I mean, the obvious answer is going to be Guar there, but oh uh, yeah, well, we, um, got the, we got the Guar yeah. tune, which was the, yeah, they a, did incredible, a which um, was great. Well, yeah. Like
1: musically, like they're one of my favorite bands, and I think so many people overlook the whole aspect of like really what they do and dave brocky's commitment to that character was just unprecedented dave
2: brocky god bless him i mean he's he's so fucking funny yeah and he hits
1: so many different levels
2: yeah and i had i didn't really get to spend i mean i got to meet a lot of members of guar i didn't really get to i wish i could have toured with them um i mean they're still going out so maybe i'll someday i will but but i never got to tour with dave and I got to meet him and we did like, uh, we did some interview on the phone together where he was doing an interview thing and he was just so funny, so fast on his feet. I remember one time I was in San Francisco and I saw Guar and he said a thing where I was like, "This guy's got fucking balls of titanium. It's amazing." Because he went up on stage and he goes, "It's so good to be here in San Francisco, the city that brought us AIDS." <laughs> and I just put my hand on and I was like, "And I was just like you were so fucking funny." And that takes so much balls. And the whole audience was just just laughing, and they Loving thought it. it was they all got the joke. And then one other night, I remember. It was the night where Michael, and I hadn't, this news hadn't broken, this is back in LA, this is a long time ago, and the news hadn't broken about Michael Richards and that tape where he's was oh, saying yeah. the N-word, oh, and yeah. you know, comedians are like, well, the guy's trying to find comedy, and he's trying to do something edgy, and it just didn't get there, and I don't believe he's, but he is also being frustrated by a table of people and all he's, it was just a complete disaster, and he's apologized either way um he spent every single in between song just trying to like figure out what's going on through michael richard's mind and the news hadn't really broken so we're all kind of scratching our heads going what's he talking about and then someone like and there's before i was like right when youtube started i think so it was Uh like 10 years ago or so yeah anyway it was really hilarious that he was kind of doing social commentary in between all this stuff and he constantly was and he just had balls, man. He was funny as hell. Because he was crass, but he was
1: always salient
2: with every point. But that with he the made. reason, I mean, what's like with yeah, the point, you know. You, I mean, just to be crass is, uh, you know, it's not even it doesn't it falls on deaf ears. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even work. But mm-hmm. to have that's why Louis C.K. is funny. That's why Bill yeah. Burr is funny because they have, both brilliant. Yeah, they have got their like razor sharp lawyers arguing a fucking terribly, a terrible point that shouldn't be argued from the bad guy's <laughs> side of a of a yeah. of something. And, and so, so
1: was Dave Brocky's doing that too. Yeah, it's like Pac-Man's like, they take it so far to one side that you just like come out on the other side and you're like, how did we even get here? Well, it here? forces
2: you to, it forces everyone to walk through an absurd logical terrain that's just twisting and turning and flat spinning in front of you. And you go, I see this logic and it's
1: absurd, but I get it, you know, yeah. anyway. Um, another good cartoon, I think, would be Ghost because the Papa Meredith character on stage has so much like funny, lighthearted banter. And
2: it's, oh. like, and it's <laughs> very the, true. Yeah, you know, I haven't seen them live. I have their records and I have their their most recent one, which I really like a mm-hmm. lot. But...
0: Essential live band. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I've got to
2: see them live. I haven't seen them live Yeah, yet. Like
1: they're uh, closed with Monstrance Clock and it's got the chorus come together. And yeah. he prefaces it for like three minutes about celebrating the female orgasm. <laughs> and then he's like, "Everybody, go home tonight." And he like he implores everyone I to love just have sex with each other when they go home. And it's to turn that into a cartoon. They could have him at like Sunday, like you know, they um like uh they put mass on TV mm. on Sundays. Like mm. if they had that with a cartoon for Ghost every Sunday, it starts right. off like they're at mass, oh, and then funny. hijinks ensue with a bunch of total other stuff. like
0: evangelist style, yeah, car a TV evangelist style cartoon with Papa Emeritus. Oof. What people don't realize, and I think what you guys are bringing out, is that bands
2: in the metal world who we all think are serious and brooding and scary and all that shit are funny as hell. They're all I've noticed through casting people from bands. I saw Enslaved one night. You know, Enslaved, Norwegian mm-hmm. black metal, evil, yes. church burning, this, that, and the other thing. You know, <laughs> related to that whole world in the in the nineties that was all fucked up and everything, and um I remember uh in between songs they're like And now prepare yourselves for Mustang Sally <laughs> And they play one of their songs that's great. And they I swear to god they said Mustang Sally and I was like Oh that is so funny because that's the worst song in the world. <laughs> the, that is maybe but, one of the worst songs
1: of mm, all time. I'm sorry Dominic the Donkey for me. Dominic the Donkey yeah, that Italian Christmas song. Oh, I, sing it for me.
0: Oh God! Well, I, I mean, I'm Italian. It. As I haven't heard this as well. either. So. Yeah, it's
1: um, chingy ching, hee haw, hee haw. It's Dominic the donkey. <laughs> <laughs> a, he says donkey, donkey, donkey. Dominic the donkey. This I don't sounds know like like uh, a Borat song, but no. Yeah. I love <laughs> it. I gotta get a
2: con- look. This sounds like. Your you don't want worst to hear song it. sounds like my favorite song <laughs> in the world. <laughs>
0: you gotta look that up. Uh, who would be like the metal super friends?
2: Super friends. Well, then you probably go into like a super group or something like that, wouldn't you?
0: Well, I mean, it could be a super group or just a collection of the greatest heroes oh, and okay. metal. Like oh, Most know dynamic I mean? personalities. Like, like who'd be Superman and Batman, Aquaman, like oh, that kind geez. of stuff. You know?
2: That's a good question. Jeez, oh, I off the
1: top of my head. Um I don't know. I I think Nathan Explosion can go, I'm not wearing hockey pants. Well <laughs> <laughs> I know. It was funny. I got a lot of people saying that after uh after
2: that. Because the first Batman he didn't really speak in the in the guttural voice as yeah. much, but in the second one he said, I'm not wearing hockey pants. Not pads. the best. He yeah. <laughs> did that whole thing. Yeah. But um Oh geez, I don't know. I don't know if I'm good at this game because I mean Band, the reason bands work for me, especially like a real band, like, um, like a Mastodon, let's say for just for yep. modern stuff, because I can go back into Metallica and Anthrax and all kinds of bands like that. And, but the reason a band like Mastodon works is that they're all creative. And this is what I think about. What, and this is a hard thing to keep alive over the years. But they're all creative in their own way, and I think they all add a certain flavor to something. And their mm. attitudes—they complement each other. They really well. complement each other. I, I go back to again. It's not the most metal band in the world, but the music is undeniably fantastic, and it influenced Death Clock like crazy. And I go back to Queen, mm-hmm. thinking about every one of those guys. I can hear what their what. So when one guy writes a song, they put they bring it to the table and they queenify it. Whatever they do yeah, to yeah. make it sound like that. And I can tell that there's that Baroque element that Freddie Mercury and Brian May add to it. There's the rock and roll, kind of the more Zeppelin element that I think Roger Taylor adds. And there's that weird funk and drive and groove that uh, Deacon adds to it. And I think everyone adds something to it. And that's a really important thing. So... So, I don't know. I don't know. It would be hard to cherry pick. And that's why, you know, supergroups don't always... They're not always the most memorable thing. Because they don't necessarily have that thing. You can't just set up a blind date and expect it to work, you know? Very true. You've got to actually really have some kind of deep connection that you may not even like each other, but there's a connection, a creative connection. Or like Lennon and McCartney. Their connection was that they were in competition with each other. They wanted to make sure that their song was better than the other guys. That's very true. And that's an important thing. You know, that's a really important part of being creative is to have that kind of like, God damn, that guy wrote a cool song. I got to beat it. And Queen was doing that too. Be- Queen was like, we're not making any money. We're getting taxed like crazy by the British government. Right. And we can't, we're broke. And the only way I'm going to make any money is if I write the coolest single in the world and I beat out Freddie Mercury and I beat out, you know, whatever. So, they they were trying to write singles so badly, and they were trying to top each other, and they drove the band to this pinnacle of rock and roll music, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's, it's, and then you're at a place where you're kind of, you know, it's a complicated relationship. Because there's your competition in and, and the tour bus with you every single night when you're going yeah. to sleep. Mm-hmm. God damn, that guy's is- I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna get influenced by somebody and write something. You know? Yeah. I mean, so the... I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not answering your, your super friends question. <laughs> and I'm also, I don't know how many more superhero movies I can deal with at this point.
0: I really don't know Pretty if good. I can do it. The Beatles made some good cartoons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's very true. So Devon Townsend was here for a short period of time and Transcendence is the new record and I'm absolutely loving it. I know personally it's been putting me in like this very unique space. It's the way that you want to be affected with music. You want music to better your mindset and your situation and help you cope with certain things in life. I live in New York City. and The commute here, going to the office every day is stressful as hell because you've got sardines, people, just packed into the subway and you're elbow-to-elbow, ass-to-ass with people who are just as pissed off as you are and just as annoyed that you have to be in, like, such close proximity with other people. Going to work, putting in your 8, 9, 10, 12-hour day. And I've been listening to Transcendence... Like nonstop because it puts me into a place where I feel almost unaffected by negativity around me. And this is what Devin and I ended up talking about here is that he wrote this record as sort of a response to the ugliness in today's world with the election, with, you know, the hatred, war that we see, violence that we see, just the general ugliness that exists between people. And Dev was telling me before uh, the podcast started that he was so almost overwhelmed, overwhelmed by the ugliness that he needed to create something to combat it. And to shed the layers of filth that he felt around himself. And this is what happened with Transcendence. He made this beautiful piece. And I think I understand. Transcendence affected me, I think, in the same way that it affected him. In that it became a pillow for your aching mind. And for him to make an album like this is... Truly beautiful. And, you know, I only got him for a short period of time today, about 20 minutes. And I could have talked with him all day. This was a conversation that I love the intensity of. It could have gone on for hours, like a Joe Rogan experience kind of podcast where you just talk about the nature of existence and life and creativity and all that It's just great to be able to have a conversation with a guy like Devin Townsend who's constantly thinking and evaluating and appreciating the life that he has and the life of other people. So take a listen to this talk I had with him. Enjoy it. I hope he comes back again. What a great dude. (laughs) All right, hey everybody, Loudwire Podcast here. This is Graham with the one and only Devin Townsend. So happy to have you here, dude. Thanks, buddy. Thanks oh for the God. opportunity. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you're here, especially today, because yesterday I went to go see Neil deGrasse Tyson do a lecture, and uh-huh. it like put me in this great mood where I'm like, completely enamored with like the beauty of of life and the universe and nature and stuff. And that speaks exactly to what transcendence is, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was having this great conversation with uh, Sean Lennon was actually a part of it. Mm -hmm. And I thought that he would just kind of be, you know, a, a little bit maybe humorless and just kind of like too cool for the room. But he was really funny. He was blowing Neil deGrasse Tyson's mind by talking about that he is inspired by science. In Transcendence, you have lyrics like time is a human construct. So I wanna know, you know, about your influences when it comes to, you know, science and like the greater vast universe and whatnot.
3: Well, I mean, I've always been interested in it, but I certainly don't claim to to know much about it. I think that Sure. I think that my connection to these things probably stem from moments of spiritual significance that I would uh, trace back to early adolescence. And I think they're all rooted in the same kind of um, uh, uh, feeling. I had read up on synesthesia because people had told me that perhaps it was something that I had, but Mm. it always just seems like Uh, folks want to define everything it's like you want to define your type of creativity or what type of music you are or or how you stand politically or whatever and without that definition it's it's everything is is chaos and we can't have that so so i had um denied thinking that it was ever a thing but in essence what it comes down to is is um the thoughts the emotions the notes the numbers and it, it all kind of intertwines into certain feelings yeah uh, you know numbers and and colors are, are equated so where a two would be a circle and blue mm-hmm. and three would be triangular and dark green and and d would be blue and sort of oblong and and so for me my moments of spiritual significance were always more of a of a sense of something and Ever since I was a young kid, I always felt like those were the things that were of really the only true significance to write about because it is beyond uh, me or you. It's something that is sort of a collective unconscious. It's something to do with humanity in in general that allows us to sort of participate in these same things and ultimately give us some sort of sense of unity. However... it's it's clear to me more now than ever that I don't understand any of it, yeah, but those senses of what it what it is uh becomes clearer to me the more I pound through what it isn't and yeah. that's what the records ultimately represent it's it's uh like you've got a field of shit and you're just <laughs> bashing through it and then the shit solidifies into albums and then hopefully at the end of it there's some sort of um truth and so science and the universe and nature and numbers and all these things play into it because maybe just my nature is such that without that kind of connection to things that are earthy or ethereal Mm -hmm. uh it's just it just doesn't seem to be provocative enough for me to write about like i don't it takes a lot more now for me to get fired up to write about things than it did as well. So, gotcha. you know, some people are like, ah, oh, we're going to write about the election or we're going to right. write about, um, you know, the war or whatever. And I think that at this point I just want to write about trying to get more towards that truth, whatever it is, and not in a religious sense, just those moments of spiritual significance in the past have all had a thread that was very similar.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I want to talk about the wall of sound mm, in this record because sure. it sounds like Phil Spector's wet dream. <laughs> it really is like this incredible production. I almost feel like digital production has r- finally reached the point that you've been trying to push it towards mm. for a long time now. And the, the wall of sound and transcendence, the ethereal atmosphere is, I feel beyond your previous works
3: a lot of that's to do with nolly like yeah he he helped me out with a huge deal but it's still not right really you know yeah so the next thing i'm going to do is going to be surround i mean if there's anything that propels me artistically at this point and this is what i this is my catchphrase i've been using for this press cycle is that i'm an imperfect perfectionist so Mm -hmm. if i ever did get it right there'd be no reason to continue but i'm never going to get it right so I think the knowledge of that is healthy because then you're not doing it for any, as I say, altruistic reason. You're just sort of doing it because it's uh, <coughs> it's, it's there's a compulsion to do so. But I'm always going to try and refine it. I'm always going to try and get it closer to that image, to that shape, to that vibe that we talked about in the first question. And perhaps spreading it out into some different speakers and all this will will allow me to to represent it more. I just remember hearing in my mind's eye this fractal of of musical geometry that it's just wherever you go, it's infinitely deep. And as a result of it being infinite, there's this real sense of of centeredness because no matter how far you go in any of these directions, you're never technically moving. So it's this stillness that's tethered to all this chaos and and it's just in any way you go it's like anywhere you poke it's like you know a million voices or there's like a thousand trumpets or there's one voice or there's like a singularity or whatever and so in my mind's eye as a puzzle as an artistic puzzle it's really um compelling to try and achieve that every time but you're never gonna it's it's this
0: futile thing but gives us something to do Is this something that you feel like you can imagine, or is what you want almost beyond your own comprehension? Oh, of course. And beyond? I don't want it. I just love it. Yeah. And I think it's um,
3: it's also interesting as well. Um, I had some some kids come up to me the other day after a show, and they were asking me about some of the music, and they had thought that it was really like a special piece of music. Yeah. And I said, well, well, you should make your own too. Like, cause that's this is just me. And and my bias, my middle class white Canadian male bias is such that my view on this is going to be colored by all of that. And there's some people that would hear my stuff and just be like, Jesus Christ, man, that's way it's just this soundtrack to a nervous breakdown. But ultimately, what I'm trying to say is no different than what all of us are participating in. It's just this is my this is my, my um, view of what it is. This is, look, isn't this great? Isn't this great? This is as close as I think I can get to it, Yeah. but it's ultimately nothing unique. And so that's what I was even saying to those kids, is just like, figure out how to say your song and do that. And then it becomes much less about projecting on people, right? Like, like me or you being uh, essentially different than everybody else it's just no we just we were all privy to different sounds through these experiences and and I do admit though that once you're on this path where you are uh, able to actualize this stuff and I do have an audience and I get to now write books and symphonies and all this sort of stuff each one of those experiences contributes to the next one so you're deeper and deeper into your own truth but ultimately it's it's just It's just my trip, and it's no different than anybody else's trip, you know? And that's one thing that I really think is important.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, this album, I feel, you know, it's interesting that you kind of bring up a certain frustration in wanting to create something that just you can't quite grasp yet because I think a lot of this album, uh, it feels like it flows from kind of a frustrated place into... Finally, uh, an air of... Mm, surrender. Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe a bit of serenity, but still knowing that things aren't perfect.
3: Well, that's what I mean by surrender. Surrender, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because at that point, it's... it's uh, And that's been the theme of it all, like deconstruction as well. It's like For the sure. theme of that is you have no choice but to surrender. You'd be a fool not to. It's just a one-way ticket to madness if you don't. But. Yeah. But I think that's where the humor comes in when we're talking about this. Um, It is a constant undercurrent of irritation in everything that I do, that it will never be right. Mm -hmm. But I think the humor comes from the knowledge of that. But also there's a beauty in continuing to try for me because what it says to me about my own creative process is that... uh, I do love it, and that almost uh, validates existence in some sense. Because mm. to love something is also to know that it's going to go away, and very true. Yeah. Then to accept that something's going to go away, it's it's like making peace with death on some level. And I think that you know, when we had kids, it was really interesting to me because up to that point, I felt that I was so hesitant to truly give myself to anything like to love wow well because it's was for me at least a real defense mechanism because if you don't like really give yourself to something then when it goes away you're protected from feeling that loss so when all of a sudden you had kids and this biological switch flips and I'm not advocating kids I'm just saying in general this is what part of my trip is I had kids and then it's like, well, you have to surrender to this. You have to love him because you do. And then part of that love is that fear of just like, well, but everybody's gonna die. Mm -hmm. And then those two things hand in hand, I think is when, for me personally, I felt for the first time and also sober that, well, I'm really alive now. This isn't like a photocopy of a life. I'm not participating in this from afar. This is really raw. And that rawness is is the next level for me on this uh, sort of search for trying to be actualized because without that, I think you can make assumptions on what it means and you can make massive statements on what it means. But without that vulnerability of like, oh my God, like like this is real. I just don't know if what you're doing is of much like, authentic value to your own spirit.
0: Yeah. I wish you had been like part of this discussion that I went to yesterday, the Neil deGrasse Tyson talk. You know, he kept
3: calling me, but I was like, Neil, Neil. I don't know, man. You got to get in that, man. You have to.
0: (laughs) And, you know, like hearing you speak about this, there was this, during the question and answer portion, uh, there was this girl who probably wasn't more than like 13 years old. And she went up to the microphone, and uh, a lot of the talk had been about can we uh, can we last long enough not to destroy ourselves? Like, can we hit a higher evolution sure. as we're, we're not destroying ourselves? And she goes to the microphone, and she says, "Well, if if everything." Is just going wrong, then, like, what's the reason to live? Oh, I totally understand that. Yeah, oh, me too. I There's mean, that's the question. But yeah. I think that's, that's, um,
3: you know, I counter that thought with a quote that I heard from, I think it was Isaac Asimov, where he said, Oh, yeah. Uh, there may be other, I'm paraphrasing, there may be other universes somewhere where it's not rooted in conflict, but that's not what this one is. This mm-hmm. one is rooted in conflict. Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, You have to fight for everything you have to fight for quiet you have to fight for peace of mind you have to fight for your family you have to fight for your health you have to fight for everything and if you're gonna fight and if you have to fight either way then why would you not fight for something that you would find pleasant and i think that one of the answers is just like well i've given up but Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways you you can fight giving up. And if you have given up, then you can fight to contribute to things that maybe help people continue to fight. And I mean, it sucks. Who wants conflict? Who wants it? But it's also like saying it sucks that we have to eat (laughs) to sustain ourselves. It's like, sure it sucks, but it's a fact of life. So we can either Kick rocks down the street complaining about it, or we can just get on with it. And so what is the reason for for continuing on? Well, in a lot of way, kids uh you know, and the horrible things that happen to kids every day and the ups and downs of people dying and all these sorts of things, it's all a brutal reality. But if time is a human construct, then then it's all happening at the same time, and your reasons to fight are an investment in the species, and the potential of the species. It's like we're such an evolutionarily primitive state as mm-hmm. a species right now. But if everything is a circle and it's all happening simultaneously, then by not giving up, what you're ultimately doing is you're protecting your own investment in the future. Yeah. Not even the future. Like, you know, it just... Everything resonates... And I think you can't change other people. You can only change yourself. All the all the raging against this and that and the other thing, all the ragings against the machines in the world, are still going to be commodity. You're going to become a commodity, right? I think if you just work on really getting to the root of yourself, then maybe that will have ripple effects. Yeah. Or don't. You know. (laughs) I think there's that too. I mean, it's like, and who's to say one way is right or, or not? It's just the decisions that I've made, again, because of my bias, is to do these things, but I certainly don't claim it's
0: the right way. Yeah, I think, you know, they, they gave a very good answer to that, too. And uh, I, it was a nice surprise because I thought Sean Lennon would kind of just be like, imagine all the planets and like <laughs> that sure. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was great. And, um, you know. What was the answer? It was very similar to the one that you gave right now, and um, I don't remember who exactly gave it, but it was basically like, we're here, and your only choice is to either die or live in what we have right now and live for your own happiness. And as you were saying also, they didn't say this, but this uh, reminded me of a bad time in my life where I thought, well, if I can't be happy... Maybe I can help other people. So, you know, like I would go uh, into our kitchen here and just grab a a bunch of the food and just go give it to like some homeless people because it's not like that I'm a great person or anything, but I was like, God, I just can't, I can't feel happy right now. Maybe I can just go do something good.
3: You know, I was, uh, I fought with the idea of uh, altruism Mm. uh, because I wondered if it was even, if even humans are capable of it, right? It's like I had thought all our actions, you know, helping homeless people or trying to make records that are constructive or any of these things. I wonder how much of that is just our own ego, like saying, well, then I can be the guy that knows that he's helping. Mm -hmm. And does altruism exist at all? You know, even the people who run animal shelters and all these things, for those who can't speak for themselves, it's like, well, how much of that is rooted in your own, and maybe you were, uh abandoned in some way and it's a way of and that's a real nasty thought i find because it's really easy to take that down to the point where it's like well everything that we do is selfish and therefore we should do nothing or Mm. be hedonistic as a result of whatever you can swallow guilt-wise you should just do but i remember going to a hospital and being with um you know my mother-in-law who i had a real rocky relationship with but she was on her way out Mm -hmm. And I had a recognition at one moment where I was like, oh, I don't matter. Yeah. And I think that was a really healthy thing to to sort of pull that questioning back, that whole, are humans incapable of doing anything for reasons other than their own self-interests? And it was nice to have that pull back because I think one of, the, um, one of the roadblocks is, for me at least, is the hyperanalysis that goes into anything. And you can analyze, I can analyze my own motivations down to the point where everything I do is for the greater good or everything I do is for a selfish reason. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think just by following it where it leads uh, and trying to clear your mind of that babble then it becomes clear that there are really definite positive and negative things that that happen in life and 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 you're going to be led in the direction that you should
0: be i think i mean i don't know i think i agree with you on the the selfish thing because i think uh being selfish is can be very inherently positive Right. Yeah, and That's I've heard true. you talk about selfishness before when uh, you were talking about one of your heroes, Jim Henson. Yeah, and that he was somewhat selfish in his creativity, mm-hmm. making all these scenes and puppets and all this stuff for his own pleasure. You know, of course, he was bringing happiness to a lot of people, but it was a sort of a selfish. Interesting. Uh, it's interesting. Act it's, interesting. it's
3: amazing how much guilt plays into our own trip, where you're doing things for people that are nice, yet you just are yeah. flagellating yourself constantly for being, you know, oh, I'm not a good person. You know, Daddy says I'm not a good person or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, but I think that's a really good point. That's a great point. And it's a point we should probably uh, we should probably consider closing on here just because i got to get back and play yeah. the show tonight. Yeah. It's been a great uh, pleasure talking to you, man. And i got to say as well, Sean Lennon, I remember I listened to Chibo Mato for years. Yeah, yeah. Love that band. And he's, yeah. I think he's a bass player in it.
0: Is he the bass player? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah.
3: And Chiba Matter are just great, man. Like just great. So yeah, you know, it's interesting that he's involved with that. Because he kinda got the shit end of the stick from his dad, I think. I think
0: it's hard to live up to those expectations. Well, I
3: th- from my from what I heard, Julian Lennon got like the attention the and Sean them. Lennon was oh, kinda like, you know, a road accident or something. Oh, that, no. <laughs> that uh so he didn't really get any of the um the benefits of being a Lennon, but he got the <laughs> you know, so i'm glad that he's i'm glad that he's in that scenario because man that's great awesome yeah hey thank you graham i really appreciate it. man
0: i could talk to you all day one day i one day you got to come here for like 12 hours you, <laughs> you shaking your hand uh yeah, yeah. everybody make sure you go out and buy transcendence again an amazing record from the devin townsend project buy it listen to it listen to it in a stressful situation because it'll make you feel better just like it does for me personally Thank you again, Devin. I You're appreciate welcome. it, man.
3: Thank you so much, Graham.
0: And there you go, ladies and gentlemen, the first ever Loudwire podcast twofer to doubleheader. Better than baseball, doubleheaders. Better
1: than baseball, singleheaders. Baseball's boring. Let's keep talking about metal, yeah. though. Better
0: than the Cubs versus the Indians, I must say. Is that who's in it? Yeah. So you, you know. It's I embarrassing, Graham. But we want to thank Brendan Small and Devin Townsend for both being a part of this podcast. We enjoyed them both very much. I enjoyed Dev, as you can probably tell from our very cerebral and all-too-serious conversation. I love the way that guy speaks, though. He's so fluid. He knows exactly what he wants to say as he's saying it. So I really respect that. I respect what he has to say uh so that was a real pleasure for me and brendan was awesome also yeah it was crazy to just to see the like the visible frustration on his face
1: for having something so close to you that you created you brought up you made this big and the network acknowledges that you're gonna make money off of it you raise the money and all you want to do is just have some closure and no matter what he's doing he can't get that i can't even imagine what it's like going through that
0: yeah he was very uh, he was super open about everything that happened but It still just left so many questions because he has so many questions himself over like, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, like we got our answers and then we still
1: had the same questions though. Like, okay, so we found out why it's not being released, but Christ, why is this not being released?
0: Yeah, it's like the the best but least constructive conversation (laughs) because it just, because nothing, uh, it's just a shame that it just seems like nothing's ever going to come of it, no matter how much sense it makes. It's foolish and it just seems like a bunch of bullheadedness at the network and
1: just give the guy some closure.
0: Yeah, give us all some closure. But he was also talking about how he thinks the Adult Swim people were just genuinely annoyed by the Metalocalypse Now campaign, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> so if he pissing off the people at Cartoon Network, I was going to say, if it's not going to happen, you might as well just have fun annoying them. Yeah. So just annoy them. You never know what's gonna come of it. If you annoy someone enough, they might give in. It can't get any worse, I guess. We don't we're not gonna have any less of a finale.
1: Like if there was an organized day. We're not gonna orchestrate it, but if all you guys listening wanna pick a day and together bombard Cartoon Network,
0: (laughs) I'm sure we'll get a laugh out of it. Yeah, we would very much enjoy that. Make sure to tag us. Oh you know what? You can tag both of us on Twitter with each annoying tweet that you send to Adult Swim now. Isn't that right, Joe? Yeah, because I have a Twitter Joe page. Joe has finally. a Twitter. Ooh. It, only, it only took seven bloody episodes of us you know, talking about yeah. why you don't have a Twitter. I
1: gave in. Yeah. So you could follow me. It's at Ice Nerve Shatter. I took it from a Godflesh, Godflesh song Flesh. off yeah. their first EP. Excellent. Not even my favorite song off it, but that title just rules and is so much fun to say. And nobody else took it. So of course, I tried a bunch like of it. other stuff. <laughs> it was all taken, except that one.
0: All right. So, everybody, add Joe at Ice Nerve Shatter. Ice Nerve Shatter. Ice Nerve Shatter. Got shatter. it? You can follow me at Gramwire on Twitter. Make sure to follow Loudwire on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter keep watching our youtube channel subscribe to our youtube channel subscribe to the loudwire podcast hit the on itunes yes hit, hit that the button. not hit- the gumdrop button what Shrek? oh of course so thank you all so much for listening to another episode of the loudwire podcast we will be back next time as always i'm gonna take off my glue. see ya